Well, we break from our sermon series in Matthew this morning um, because it's Thanksgiving week. And this week, you know, we traditionally celebrate with turkey and mashed potatoes and dressing and stuffing and all the goods, maybe some football, or maybe we're gathering with family. But I believe for many of us, this Thanksgiving uh, may be a bit more difficult to be truly thankful. You know, 2020 has not been the easiest year. It's been a hard year for so many. And it's, it's easy enough to give thanks when, we've, when, we, when we see that we've been given a lot, when we recognize just how blessed we are. But in the face of loss, in the face of difficulty, and especially unexpected loss, it can be very difficult to give thanks. Thankfulness is sometimes, in those moments, the last thing on our minds. What has made 2020 such a difficult year for so many is undoubtedly the coronavirus pandemic. Now, there's a wide range of opinions on just how big of a threat this, this disease is, how, how deadly it is. There's disagreement. There's, um, there's differences of opinion on how we should respond to the disease. But regardless of what you think of the, the danger of this virus, one thing is for sure, it has affected all of our lives. We've had to think about things that we maybe wouldn't have had to think about otherwise. You know, just, just going out, we, you know, we, we have to think, you know, is this restaurant even going to be open? You know, am I going uh, to be allowed to enter the store without a mask? Or, you know, do I have a mask with me? There's, there's all kinds of ways that our lives have been affected by COVID-19. And our, our government has responded in different ways, and all of our lives have been affected but there's, in many of the ways that this virus has affected our lives have not been good. They've been negative in many ways. But there is one way that I believe coronavirus has actually um, affected our lives that may be, a, it may be a blessing in disguise. It may actually be a good thing. If there's one thing that this pandemic has done, it's confronted our our nation and our culture and really the world with the fragility of human life. It's confronted us with the reality of our own mortality. It's made us think about death. Now, it sounds kind of morbid, uh, but here in America especially, people don't like to think about death. They don't like to, uh, they, they try to you just push that as far away from, from the things that they think about and plan towards as possible. Death is not a subject that Americans want to think about. Improvements in, in medicine have given many a feeling of almost invincibility. People go about their lives pursuing their dreams and careers, living for the moment, not giving much thought for tomorrow not thinking that it could all be over in just a few moments. But COVID-19 has shaken many awake from this foolish slumber, because that's really what it is. It's caused many to think about the reality of death and our ultimate helplessness against it. We don't have a cure for everything. 
our medicine can't make us live forever. And there's coming a day, and we don't know when it is, when each of us will go to the grave. I'm not, so, I'm not so sure it's a bad thing to be confronted with our own mortality. In fact, this morning, one of the things we'll be thinking about is, is death. Now, you might be thinking, haven't we had enough negativity this year? Maybe, maybe we should just think about something positive. I mean, it's Thanksgiving week. But friends, I want us to see this morning that in the face of one of our greatest fears... In the face of, of that which casts a shadow over 2020, we can have reason for the greatest joy and peace and hopefulness and even thankfulness this morning. I want us to, to see that Jesus Christ can turn the subject of death from one of the greatest fear and sorrow to a subject of the greatest comfort and thankfulness. And to do that this morning, let's We're going to take a break from Matthew and we're going to turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So 1 Corinthians 15, you can find this on page 905 if you're using one of the Pew Bibles, page 905. 1 Corinthians 15. Now, to give a little context, the verses we're going to be looking at this morning, they're from 1 Corinthians, which was a letter by the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian church. And throughout this letter, by by the inspiration of God, Paul the Apostle is addressing various issues in the church at Corinth. And here towards the end of the letter, in chapter 15, he addresses some false ideas that some of the Corinthians had about death and the resurrection of the dead. And first, Paul sought to convince them of the reality of the resurrection of the dead, because some some in their number were convinced that the dead are not raised. And and Paul shows that if, if in this life only we have hope, we are of all people most to be pitied. Our hope is, the, the thing that's so great about being a Christian is that we have hope that extends beyond this life. So Paul, he seeks to convince them of the reality of the resurrection of the dead. It's going to happen. There will come a day when all those who have died will be supernaturally raised from the dead and will give an account before the judgment seat of God. And and some will go to eternal life in paradise with God and others to eternal hell, to what Scripture calls the second death. They'll go from death to more death an eternal separation from God, eternal conscious suffering and pain in hell, which is a living death, so to speak. Paul's focus here in 1 Corinthians 15 has has mostly been on the resurrection of those who believe on Christ, those who have trusted in Jesus. And for the Christian, as Christ was raised from the dead, someday we too will be raised from the dead to be with him. And then starting in in verse 35 of chapter 15, he talks about how the resurrection will take place. Because people were saying, well, okay, you know, he's, he's 
anticipating them, them saying, okay, well, maybe if the dead are raised, how is this going to happen, you know? Are we going to get back our, our bodies that, you know, they died because of sickness or disease or whatever it was, maybe a terrible wound, and that body's, we're going to be stuck with that for all eternity? And, and Paul says, no, like, we're going to get new bodies. He stresses that in the resurrection, believers in Christ, though we'll have bodies, we won't be disembodied spirits, these bodies will be far more glorious than the bodies that we live in right now. And he gives different analogies to show this. He talks about you know, a seed being planted and you know, it goes into the ground and it, it dies, but then it springs up. Think about how much more glorious and beautiful the, the tree is compared to just the little acorn or the seed that, that planted the tree. So our our heavenly bodies, our spiritual bodies, will be that much more glorious than the bodies that we've had in this life. And Paul, uh, he goes on and he, he says that the resurrection of the believer and the receiving of these new, immortal, imperishable bodies will take place at the sound of the trumpets, which in a, that's a biblical way to referring to the return of Christ to this earth, Jesus' second coming. And when that, when that happens, when Jesus, the resurrected, living Lord Jesus, returns to this earth, death, he says, will be defeated. Look with me at verse 54. First Corinthians 15 and verse 54 says, When the perishable, speaking of our perishable earthly bodies, puts on the imperishable, our new bodies. And the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? There is coming a day for the Christian when that is what we'll say. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Death will one day be finally and completely defeated. And those raised from the dead to be with Christ will celebrate our victory over the grave. The message this morning that I'm, I'm going to bring from the Word of God is going to seek to answer a couple of basic questions. First, what is death? Why is it so terrible? What is, what is it? And two, how can we have this victory over death? What does the Bible say about how this victory comes to us? So first, what is death? Look at verse 56. It reads, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. Now this tells us something about death. First of all, quite obviously, it, it tells us that death hurts. It's painful. It has a sting. And, and somehow that sting, that, that pain of death is connected to the law. And here that's referring to the law of God. But first, let, let's think about death has a sting. Death is painful. When a loved one dies... You know, we feel like we've been punched in the gut. 
And we just, all of our strength is evaporates. We don't feel like we can move. And we don't feel like we can eat. It's, it's a sense of emptiness and loss. And there's a really, there's a very real sting that we feel as we walk away from that casket for the, for the last time. You wonder how you'll go on without this, this loved one in your life. And you, you know, you think back on the memories and, and it, it pains you to think that you'll have to go on without them. Death has a sting. There's the fear of the unknown. You know, when we, when we think about our own deaths, you know, what's going to happen? We don't get to practice dying. You know, when it comes, we, we wonder, like, will I feel pain? Will I be aware? What will it be like when my heart beats its last and my lungs exhale and, and don't inhale again? What, what next? What about when my, my soul leaves my body? Will, I, will it just fade into black? You know, what's going to happen in that moment? The sting of fear. Fear is a very real thing when we think about death. And, and all that is so unnatural. You know, some people would try to convince you that death is just the way things are. It's just natural. It's been this way since the beginning. You know, survival of the fittest. Creature killing creature to survive. But the Bible tells a very different story. The Bible tells us that in the beginning, God made a good world. And in this world, there was no death. The Bible teaches that death came into the world because of sin. Death is not natural then. It's not the way things were meant to be. Death is, is a curse because of sin. In the beginning, human beings weren't meant to die. Animals weren't meant to die. They were meant to live. Death has a sting. But verse 56 says that, you know, it says what this sting is. It says the, the sting of death is sin. Sin is, is that sting, the, the real pain of death. Physical pain is just a side effect of death's real sting. Apart from Christ, apart from victory over, over death that we'll talk about in a moment, without that hope, the sting of death is, is inescapable and it, it just leads to further and further pain. This, this is not a sting that dissipates. It's a sting that, that feels worse and worse as you go from death in the physical body to, to the place of the second death. As someone lies there on their deathbed with, with no Christ to comfort them and no hope beyond the grave to look to to look forward, the sting of death pierces to their very soul. Perhaps he was one who, who once lived life to the fullest. A man who never missed a, a party. Every day he pursued his dreams. Success was a, a word that defined him. But now the laughter is gone. The friends are absent. He lays there alone, 
on a hospital bed. And the mournful realization comes to him that all the joy and the laughter and the good times are all in the past. And he's not quite sure what awaits him, but something tells him that he'll never laugh again. He'll never smile again. And now the, the shiver of dread starts to creep up his spine and his, his heart sinks with regret. I should have prepared for this, he thinks. I prepared so diligently for other things, for work projects and tests and interviews. How could I have not prepared for eternity? The worst part of Dying without Christ is that now all joy and all happiness and all laughter are behind, never to be enjoyed again. There's no party in hell. There's no joyful reunion with old friends. It's not a fun place. Jesus himself described hell in the most chilling imagery. He, he spoke of it as the outer darkness, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth where the worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. That's not some uh, hellfire and brimstone preacher from the, from the south. That's Jesus himself. He's warning us. And whatever this means, whatever this, this imagery is, it's, it's not good. It's not a place that you would want to go. The sting of death is sin. And sin is the sting of death because it forever separates us and condemns us before a holy God. And in all of God's love and kindness, we, we miss out on those because of our sin. If we don't come to know Christ before the grave, then the sting of death will last for all eternity. The most This is important to understand. Our passage says in verse 55, the the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Notice that, that second phrase there, the power of sin is the law. One of the worst things about the sting of death is the realization that this is deserved. This is, this is actually justice. The, the power of sin is the law. What gives sin its strength against us? What, what is the power of sin? What, what gives it strength to, to kill us? As the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. Well, it's the law. Now, does that, now we might be thinking, like, does that mean the law is bad? I mean, the law is, I mean, isn't it God's law? Well, no, the law is not bad. The law is good. It's holy. It's just. But because we are lawbreakers, well, as you can see, for, for a criminal, for a lawbreaker, the law becomes an enemy because they have to deal now with the consequences of breaking the law, the, the penalty that justice demands. And that's why the law is the, is the power of sin. The law condemns us as lawbreakers and, and chains us and imprisons us to, to face the, the judgment of God. So yes, the law of God is good and just and righteous, but if we break God's law, 
We are under the power of sin and judgment and the sting of death. And truthfully, that's where all of us are. That's, that's where all of us as, as human beings all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because, because of that, because all of us have sinned, sin has power over all of us to do harm. And the sting of death is over all of us apart from Christ. So this is a, this is a bleak picture. And I promise I'm not going to stay here. But we need to understand that death is the consequence of sin, the punishment of sin. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. When sin goes to work in our lives, when we go to work for sin, we get paid with a sting. Our, our wages are our death itself. It's what we earn. In the book of Genesis, God warned our ancestor Adam that if he sinned against God by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he would die. That was the penalty tied to that sinful act. You know, gasoline is a useful substance. I mean, I just put some gas in my van last night. It got me here to, to church this morning. It, it fuels our machines and our, our cars. It helps us go places and get things done. Gas itself is not our enemy. It doesn't hurt us unless we do something foolish near the gas can, like play with fire. And then what, what was so useful is suddenly becomes an enemy to us. It, it suddenly burns us and hurts us and, or even kills us. The gas isn't bad. It was the foolish act of playing with fire next to it that burned us. And in the same way, God's law isn't bad. It's good. But when we play with fire next to it, we get burned. Because Adam sinned, death came into the world. And because of our connection with Adam, our forefather, and because of our own personal sinning, we too are subject to the sting of death. We're under the condemning power of the law. And the Bible teaches us, and our own consciences confirm it, that we all fall short of the glory of God. None of us have loved God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. None of us have perfectly loved our neighbor as ourselves. Too often we live for ourselves and our own selfish desires, and we're even willing to hurt others to get our way. And we don't, we, we don't wake up in the morning thinking, how can I glorify God this morning? Every, every moment that we live for self in this uh, self-centered way, this, we're, we're living in sin. We've all lied, lusted, spoken harsh words, gossiped, slandered, discontentment, ingratitude, complaining. All of us, in, in various ways, have sinned. And none of these sins are as trivial as we like to think. Behind each act of sin is a heart that rebels against God's rightful authority as our king. It's, it's a heart that says, I'll have it my way, rather than a heart that says, your will be done, Father. And our sin is, is treason against God. 
And the penalty of sin, as, as I've just been saying, is death. It's that sting of death. But what all this means, where, I, where I'm going with all this, is, is just this. Death itself is not an evil thing. Now we think of death and, you know, there's the image of like maybe the Grim Reaper. We think of death as like evil. We, we, speak, of, we speak of disease as evil. You know, like COVID-19 or cancer, we, we think of it as, as evil. But friends, if we're understanding our Bibles correctly, death is not evil in and of itself. As humbling as it is to realize we are the ones who are evil. And, and death is simply the response to our evil. Death is, is justice for sinners. It's what we deserve. That's, that's a painful truth to realize. As, as terrible as death is, death is just stinging justice. Justice that stings. Yes, death is our enemy, but we're actually the, the bad guys in this fight. And while that's humbling to consider, and the Bible is honest with us. It can be painfully honest. But it, its purpose in, in teaching us about what death is and how death is actually a, a punishment for our sin that, that we deserve its purpose is not to hurt us. It's not to just leave us feeling low. Its purpose is to heal. Just as we know from experience that you know, some pain is, is worth it, you know, removing a splinter from our fingertip can be painful in the moment. But once it's removed, the flesh can truly heal. No one volunteers to let a to let someone just cut them open with a knife and, and remove something from their bodies. Unless it's a tumor that's being removed and the one removing it doesn't intend to merely hurt but to heal. Friends, it's against the, the dark, black backdrop of understanding our sin and our guilt that the brilliant diamond of Christ's love shines all the more brightly. And the victory that He brings us over sin and over death and over our sin appears all the more glorious. If death is stinging justice, then how can we have victory over death? How can we escape justice? Look with me now at, at verse 57. It says, But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. So victory over death comes from God. It's He who gives us the victory. Notice how that, notice how that speaks of the victory coming to us. It doesn't say like, thanks be to God who gives us a little help so we can go out and win the victory. God, God is not like our motivational speaker that, that just gets us amped up so that we go out and we conquer death. No, God gives us the victory. It's not by our effort, not by our achievements, but we are given as a gift victory over death. 
this comes from God as a gift. He is the source of the believer's triumph over the grave and over the eternal death of hell. All the praise for this victory, then, it belongs to him. That's just one implication of that. God gets all the glory. And this is God's gracious gift. As we thought about in point number one, we deserve to die. You know, death is stinging justice. And so what we're getting here is not something we deserve. This victory over death is something undeserved. It's it's a gracious and merciful gift of God to us, to the undeserving. It's a gracious gift. It's a priceless gift. I mean, what would a person pay to escape the grave? What would you pay if you knew you could extend your life by five years? Just think how much money goes into cancer research. How much is a day worth? How much is a year worth? You know, when the doctor tells you that you have just just months to live, you know, how priceless are each one of those days that goes by? Oh, to have more time. What's money if you, if you could have just more time to spend with loved ones and friends and family? If someone offered you all the gold in the national treasury, it, w- it would be worthless to someone that's facing death. If only to have more time. But thanks be to God for His unspeakable gift, His gracious gift, His priceless gift of victory over the grave. And God spares no expense to, to give this gift to us sinners. He gives the gift of victory over death. Verse 57 says, he, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The gift comes from God the Father through God the Son, through Jesus Christ. The Father gave His only Son for our salvation, John 3.16. And God the Son came willingly, taking on a human body, taking on a body that, that was subject to death. Jesus took on, a, he took on a mortal body. The immortal put on mortality so that us mortals could put on immortality. The undying put on death out of love for us so that we could live forever with Him. On the cross, Jesus willingly took death's sting for us, for all who believe on Him, standing in our place as our substitute. The believer in Christ can say with triumph then, O death, where is your victory? O grave, where is your sting? Where is it? Where is it? Well, there it is. Look to Calvary. Look at that rough wooden cross. Look at the man suffering on that cross. Believer, there is the sting of death. There is your sting of death. There he is, agonizing, gasping for breath, beaten beyond recognition, the king of creation crowned with thorns, the one honored by angels, mocked by men and devils. 
His blood pouring out freely from a thousand wounds. A symbol of His life poured out freely in love for the undeserving. And there He he suffers, despised, rejected by men. All the the just punishment of our sin laid upon His bleeding shoulders. The weight of the world literally on His back as He suffered and died on the cross. His arms outstretched, pinned, pierced through, nailed to that, that rough wood of the cross. You know, that's, that's like a position of surrender. His, his hands are not up in defense, but nailed to the cross. And the sting of death does its worst on Jesus. And he surrenders to it. He doesn't fight back but gives up His life willingly for us. Consider how He loved us. Consider the love that would cause the King of glory to come down to this earth and die such a shameful death as that. Believer, the sting of death was spent on Christ. And and we who repent of our sin and believe on Him we have no, no sting to fear. We can truly say, death, where is your sting? Because it is, it is spent. There's no more harm that death can do to us because it did it all on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, the power of sin is the law as we looked at a, at a minute ago. And on the cross, Christ broke the power of sin over us, over, over those who believe, as He paid in full the debt to justice, the debt that we owed because of our sin, the penalty that we owed. As Colossians 2 says, God canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. Those who have faith in Jesus can rejoice that, as Galatians 3 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. But never, don't, don't forget how He did it. He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That's what happened to Jesus on the cross. And He did it because He loved us. The curse of sin, the sting of death, it killed Jesus. And He was taken down from the cross and a few faithful friends, a few that hadn't completely forsaken Him, carried Him and and laid Him in a borrowed tomb. His lifeless body, His corpse was laid there. But though Jesus was carried into the tomb, He walked out alive. And that first Easter Sunday, hope was alive because Jesus got up and he walked out of the grave never to die again. And as he he introduces himself in the book of Revelation, he says, I died and behold, I am alive again. He calls himself the living one. Jesus is alive. Brothers and sisters, because Jesus is alive, our hope is alive this morning, this Thanksgiving week in 2020. Our hope is alive. 
Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. But we still die, don't we? I mean, we still, even the best Christian person still dies, right? I mean, what are, what are we to think of, of that? What, what do we do with that? If, if Christ defeated the grave, why do we still have to die? Yes, Christians die. In a way. In a way, we die. But one thing that struck me about reading 1 Corinthians 15 is that as I read this chapter, Paul seems to refer to, to the, the, the Christian passing away as sleep. He doesn't really use the word death when a Christian dies. He says we shall, you know, if, if Christ tarries, you know, maybe we'll sleep. And then those, and, and not even all people will sleep because some people will, will still be alive when Jesus returns. So he says, not all of us will sleep, but some will be changed in a moment. He doesn't, he, he kind of shies away from using the word death for the, for the death of a Christian. Reminds me of Jesus whenever he was, there, there was that girl and she had died and he was going to raise her from the dead. And the people were gathered around, they were watching, they wanted to see what was going to happen. Jesus, what are you going to do? Can you really, you know, raise someone from the dead? And he said something interesting. He said, she's not dead, but she sleeps. And they just, you know, through their tears, they kind of busted out laughing. Like, that's ridiculous, Jesus. She's dead. She's not sleeping. But Jesus knew what he was saying. When somebody's sleeping, they're going to wake up again soon. And this is exactly the word that, that Paul uses he says, we shall sleep. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ. For the Christian, the prospect of death, you know, it, it may still frighten us. There is some unknown to that, you know. That's understandable. But when we start to fear death, think. Think about how Paul refers to it here. And think about how we will have the final say. How, how God Himself has given us and will give us on that day when we rise from the grave, final victory over death. Jesus rose from the dead just as He promised, and we can trust His promise that we too will rise with Him to live forever. You know, a hornet may appear scary, or a, a bee, you know, a honeybee, if it's buzzing around our face. But, you know, when a bee stings, and it, it, it can only sting once, and its sting is gone. Well, if we know that that bee is buzzing around, but it's, it's lost its sting, if we can remember that, we can realize that, that that bee can no longer harm us anymore. So can we remember, can we trust what this says, that, that for, for us, the sting of death is defeated and it's gone. A stingless death can do us no real harm. So if Jesus tarries a little while longer, we may sleep, but only to awake before long. You know, the, the sun may set 
on our, on our life in this troubled world. But soon it will rise, never to set again, in the land of, of cloudless day. For the Christian, death is no longer a grim reaper come to deliver us to everlasting misery. Now death is God's usher that takes us to be with the lover of our souls in the wedding feast of the Lamb, taking us home, never to cry again. We will lay, our, we will lay on our deathbeds and say goodbye, not to happiness and joy and, and peace, those are the things that we'll be saying hello to. We'll be saying goodbye to pain and suffering and misery and fear. All of those things will, in a moment, be... We won't even remember them. They'll be a distant thing of the past. We'll leave them all behind. And we'll, we'll welcome the eternal joy and peace and rest that awaits us in the kingdom of God. And, and soon, whenever Jesus returns... We will get our glorified bodies with which we can enjoy the paradise of God forever with the people of God. Christian, we do have much to be thankful for in 2020, don't we? But do we see it? Do we see it? The Bible calls us as believers to give thanks in all circumstances. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 In all circumstances, give thanks. That, that, that doesn't just mean when things are going good, be, be thankful. Give thanks in all circumstances. Friends, God doesn't call us to give thanks in all circumstances for no good reason. We have abundant reason as Christians to be thankful. No matter what's happening in our lives this week, this year, no matter what's going on, we have reason to be thankful. God calls us to this because in all circumstances, we have a, an inheritance that is laid up for us in glory, incorruptible, undefiled, reserved in heaven for us. We can give thanks in all circumstances because we know that our, our labor in the Lord on this miserable world is not in vain. But henceforth is laid up for us a crown of glory that will never be taken away. And that we are going to live and not die. Yeah, we might have to take a nap before the wedding feast, but it's only a sleep. It's only a nap. The sting of death is no more for us, Christian. Are you, I wonder this morning, if you're having a hard time with gratitude. You know, one thing that I've, I've appreciated as I'm getting to know uh, you folks here at Emmanuel is just how grateful so many of you are. I've just seen so many smiles, so much gratitude. Even in a tough year like 2020, there have been many times when I've just been so blessed to see your faith and your thankfulness. But you know, all of us can struggle at times to be grateful. We, we can forget the goodness of God 
And we can kind of get down spiritually. And I don't know, maybe that's, maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe you have a hard time singing th- songs of, of thanksgiving to God. It's, you know, as we go through this world, we can easily forget God's, the greatness of His, His love to us. And if that's you this morning, don't be ashamed to, to let somebody know about that. You know, confess that to someone. Ask another believer to pray for you. Just tell them, listen, I'm having a hard week. As a, as a local church, that's what we're here for. We're to come alongside one another. Not to condemn and, and gossip, but to pray for one another, to build each other up and help each other cross the finish line of glory. So I'd encourage you this week, though, pray for each other, ask for prayer, and search the Scriptures diligently. Study carefully and pray desperately that God would show you reasons for, for gratitude, reasons for thankfulness. Perhaps something you could do just specifically is, is you can uh, pray, you know, before you read your Bible in the morning, God, you know, I'm having a hard time with gratitude. Can you please show me something from your Word this morning that I can thank you for? I mean, thank Him, first of all, for that even, we even have the Bible in our language. We can even read it. But, but ask God to show you things that you can give Him thanks for, at least one thing. And, and read it until you find something to be grateful for. And then tell God about it. Say, God, thank you for answering my prayer and thank you for showing me this, this wonderful truth, this wonderful promise from your word. I am so thankful for you uh, giving that to me this morning. And don't stop there, you know. Uh, maybe call up another church member and, and tell them something that you're thankful for this morning. Maybe, maybe it'll give them a reason for gratitude as well. And maybe this could even be a conversation starter with an unbeliever. You know, maybe they ask how you're doing. How's, how's your week going? And how's your day? And instead of just saying, you know, I'm fine, maybe you say, I am very thankful this morning. You know, and you, when somebody says that, it kind of makes you want to say, well, what are you thankful for? Might, might be a, a conversation starter. Have a gospel conversation. But by God's grace, brothers and sisters, Let's cultivate gratitude and let's help one another in thankfulness. Think about the victory that we have through Christ over the power of sin, over the power of Satan, over the grave. Think about the victory that we will have over death itself. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As we close, one last comment. Who is the us who are given victory over sin and death? You know, is this, is this just for everybody? Like the whole world gets victory over sin and death? Look at verse 57. It says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The us there is, is those for whom Christ is their Lord. So is Christ your Lord this morning? Is He your Lord? Have you repented of being your own master? You know, running things your own way and, and doing life as you please. And have you surrendered your life to Him? This is, this is central to what it means to be a true Christian. 
This is what it is to, to repent of sin. You're turning the, the control of your life over to Jesus. I surrender all. Jesus, whatever you have me to do, I am yours, whatever the cost. Jesus' victory over death is for those who repent of their sin, recognizing him as their Lord and yielding to his will from here on out by the help of the Holy Spirit. Only those who, who truly have faith in Jesus, that he is truly trustworthy, will trust him with their life and their eternity. But I promise you this, there is no one more worthy of your trust. No one more worthy of your trust than the one who walked out of the grave and defeated death itself, just as he promised he would do. And believing on him, we have the peace and joy of knowing that we too, we too, will defeat death itself because God has given us the victory. Thanks be to God for the victory over death. That is, that's something to be thankful for even, even in 2020. Let's go to God in prayer. Oh Lord, we, we praise you. Lord, you are a holy and a just God. And yet you made a way to give sinners like us victory over death, freedom from the condemnation that, that we deserved. Lord, it was a costly way, but you spared no expense. We praise you and we thank you for that. As we come to observe the Lord's Supper here and, and celebrate that in just a moment, Lord, we pray that you would bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen.